Association of Nurse Practitioners. I'm the host of today's special edition episode, Nurse Practitioner and Director of Education, Eve Robert. And this is MP Pulse, the voice of the nurse practitioner. Welcome to MP Pulse, AMP's official podcast bringing you unique nurse practitioner voices and expertise on issues that matter to MPs and our patients. Vaginal complaints are one of the top reasons that women will visit a healthcare provider. Join us today as our guests give us an overview of vaginal health, as well as talking about the diagnosis and treatment of vaginitis and vaginosis. Let's give a warm welcome to our two expert guests. I am excited to bring you nurse practitioners, Nancy Berman and Dr. Sheila Larson. Thanks, Eve. I'm Nancy Berman. I'm a nurse practitioner in private practice providing healthcare to women at Michigan Healthcare Professionals in Farmington Hills, Michigan. I am also a clinical instructor in the Wayne State University School of Medicine Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. Through my long career, I have also spent many, many years providing care to women for lower genital tract disease. I've served on the board of the American Society for Colposcopy and Cervical Pathology. I am certified as a menopause practitioner through the North American Menopause Society and a fellow of the American Association of Nurse Practitioners. It's my pleasure to welcome my co-presenter, Sheila Larson. Hi, Nancy. Thank you so much for that introduction. Hello, Eve. Thank you so much for providing this opportunity to talk about vulval vaginal candidiasis, or what we most of our ladies just call a yeast infection. I am a women's health nurse practitioner. I went on and got my doctorate, um, so that's what makes me a doctor nurse. And um, I am at a county hospital in Fort Worth, Texas. I'm responsible for the menopause clinic, as well as I train um, my OB-GYN residents, family practice residents, nurse practitioner and PAs on um, the care of women across the lifespan. I have been there about 15 years. I've been a nurse practitioner since 2005. I actually went back and got my NAM certification, North American Menopause Society. Um, so I am certified in menopause. I am speaker just like you, Nancy. We speak across the country on women's health, um, issues in women's health. I have just recently rolled off the board of the National Association of Nurse Practitioners in Women's Health, and I am currently represent Texas for American, Academy, American Association of Nurse Practitioners. I'm also on the board of Texas Nurse Practitioners, and it is such a pleasure to be able to talk to my colleagues and any patients out there um, about vulvovaginal um, infections, candidiasis. Um, or better yet, known as um, the yeast infection. So um, it's exciting to get to have this opportunity to talk. It's a pleasure today to have the chance for Sheila and I to talk about what is one of the most common reasons that women see healthcare practitioners, that of vaginal concerns and vulvar concerns. And what I find so rewarding, having practiced for 
uh, 42 years at this point is that I've really seen the evolution of care, of understanding, and really realizing that this is not a small problem. For many women, by the time they get an appropriate diagnosis, a a real uh, treatment plan that works for them, they may have seen many different uh, providers and, and had therapies that haven't worked and oftentimes are very frustrated. So I can't say enough about how important it is to approach a woman's concerns and symptoms with an open view of what could this be? Is it just a vaginal infection? Is it a, a possibly another condition of the vulva that is actually a dermatosis? Is it a problem that is actually a vulvar pain syndrome that's mimicking a vaginal infection? So um, what we're going to do in the next time we have with you is really talk about and, and help to get some clarity of some of these issues that women have. One of the most common reasons women see healthcare providers with some 5 million visits a year in this country, but there's so much that women do in terms of even avoiding seeing a healthcare provider because obviously women are busy and they can't schedule an appointment due to work or due to childcare issues. What about cost? The amount that a woman pays to see a clinician might be prohibitive or she may not have insurance. And this can lead to significant uh, improper diagnosis, self-diagnosis. So we really stress the importance of visiting a healthcare provider that leads to an accurate diagnosis. Um, we have studies that are really interesting where women do look to do a self-diagnosis. And one study I've always really found extremely interesting is a study by Darren Ferris some years ago. They actually had pharmacies where women were attempting to purchase over-the-counter products. And they had the study was set up that the cashiers could could intercept. And at that point of trying to pay for a product, the, the woman was told, if you would like to enter a study, we will, um, you know, hook you up and you can then be properly diagnosed. And this is what led to actually seeing the data on the misdiagnosis of, of self-diagnosis where, um, you know, what do we know? So this study saw that it was a very small percentage of women actually had yeast, and that's when they had not realized that it was a bacterial infection or a trichomonas infection or even a mixed infection. So mixed infections are also something that is um, possible, and one set of symptoms can really dominate and make the other infection less apparent. So we really stress the importance of patients seeing a clinician. We know that self-diagnosis leads to misdiagnosis, and this can lead to lots of cost in terms of inappropriate over-the-counter therapies, frustration. And so we also know that new Center for Disease Control guidelines recommend that we test for trichomonas with any vaginal discharge because trich is so underdiagnosed 
and it is passed commonly um, through sexual um, contact. So it's really important to understand this is a very, very significant problem, and it's more challenging than it may appear on the surface, that it impacts women greatly. There is um, really today the need to manage correctly, and, and, and we have the tools to get a really good diagnosis. So Sheila, I, I'm, I've just mentioned that this problem needs to be addressed well. And if you would talk about then the burden of vaginitis and vaginosis. Thank you, Nancy. Uh, the burden of vaginitis, vaginosis is, is really high on our women, on our healthcare, on our uh, products, I mean, uh, people buying um, products for this. We find that 75% of all women will have at least one episode of a vaginal yeast infection in their lifetime, and 50% will actually experience a second one. So if you think about that, that is, that's a really high numbers. And these women aren't really educated um, on, on what this is. And 10% will actually have reoccurrence of vaginal infections, particularly vaginal yeast infections. So the, the impact of this is, is great in that they avoid um, social situations. We have found that um, 54 to actually up to 69% of the women that have vaginal yeast infections actually have um, a lot of depression that goes with it because they think something is wrong with them and they're always worried about if somebody can see it, somebody can smell it. Um, and we actually have um, cases where it increases anxiety. So their emotional well-being about themselves is they're afraid to go out. They don't have confidence because they're afraid they're going to um, they're going to leak. It's going to smell. So they have a lot of self-confidence issues. And really, they'll see in sexual or intimacy, um, they avoid those kinds of uh, uh, relationships because they're afraid that they're going to see that they have a yeast infection or a, they're going to itch, they're going to have a smell. They're really concerned about um, having sexual intercourse or intimate because of the of a discharge and worrying that they have a yeast infection, having other people know that. So they have a tendency to avoid social situations. They avoid sexual intimacy. Um, they have lack of um, confidence in themselves. They're afraid to sit down. They also have that stigma, that shame, that embarrassment that I have a yeast infection or I have a vaginal infection. And they seem to think that, you know, this, they're the only ones out there and they don't realize that 75% of our women actually have that. In fact, we have $368 million a year um, on outpatient visits for this same um, issue of this vaginal discharge, this yeast infection. That's $368 million a year just on outpatient visits alone for yeast infections. These ladies will end up spending over 30, over $317 million on over-the-counter uh, preparations to try to cure this. So they have a lot of stigma of, I have a yeast infection or shame or embarrassment that it's something that they did, that they're not adequate. And so you have the, the economic cost and you have that $317 million over the counter of them, like you said before, Nancy, of them self-diagnosing. 
which leads to a lot of misdiagnosis. So you have a lot of burden is your cost of the misdiagnosis. They'll go out there and they will try um, one kind of yeast medicine and then they'll try another vaginal yeast medicine and then they'll look for something else or they'll go on to the internet and find all kinds of home remedies for it, spend a lot of money. And many times they could have just come to us. So your impact on, on this is money and time and self-esteem. But a lot of times you also have the issue of other problems that are going on. Urinary tract infections, they're taking antibiotics, um, the comorbidities that go on with the yeast infection. Perhaps this could be our first clue as a healthcare provider. This, this patient actually does have a yeast infection, but that is my first clue to test her for diabetes. Um, this is other ways that we can actually look at any kind of vaginal um, issues of lack of estrogen. So this may go along with other comorbidities than just the vagina. So it actually can impact her as well as um, just not just the whole body. Well, Sheila, that is so true. I think that we have through our experience seen that it's so far from just a yeast infection or just a vaginal discharge. We really have responsibility to address this and really help our patients have, have appropriate and adequate treatment. And as you've said, there is so much more than just treating the discharge. We really need to broaden our approach and, and understand not everything that itches is yeast and that there are diagnoses that impact uh, the general health and well-being that should be assessed um, I think it's really important to understand that. So, you know, to meet our, our patients' needs, we need to start with a good foundation of what is normal vaginal health. And there is such a wide variation in the physiologic uh, production of mucus. Um, I've had a patient in the past, I, I had um, one in particular, I remember, because she just happened to make a, a significant amount of cervical mucus, and she um, was so concerned that this was abnormal, but through a lot of objective testing and reassurance, it was, it was finally that I could help her accept that this cyclic increase in normal physiologic cervical mucus, that that was normal. And so the normal vaginal health because of the presence of lactobacilli and lactic acid in the vagina, we know the uh, vagina is very acidic. The pH level is at 4.0. We know that cyclically in reproductive age women, there can be an increase in cervical mucus to the midpoint of the cycle. And that normal mucus is very stretchy. And you've seen it, and, and you, I show women, I can grab some on a on a swab and, and then pull it and show how it has the classic uh, stretchiness of spin barkite. Um, I love doing patient education in the exam room. I keep a mirror so I can show things, tell things, and then it helps us in our assessment. So normal pH is acidic. Um, in bacterial and estrogen deficient states, we see an alkaline vaginal environment. Keep pH paper handy. pH paper tells a lot. And technically, it should be tested from the distal vaginal wall. Um, but 
do do what you need to do. Keep it handy so that you know anytime I see an excess amount of discharge, I just quickly hit the paper. And if it stays on the lighter side of yellow, um, it is generally it's it's an acidic uh, pH. It's it can certainly be there could be yeast there, but not bacteria, trichomonas, or a severe uh, estrogen deficiency uh, environment. So get to know the normal vagina, which has rugations, as opposed to women who are estrogen deficient, have a thinning out of the vaginal walls, loss of rugation, and oftentimes small petechia, even from the slight trauma of putting in a speculum or scraping uh, for a, a pap test. Um, so the normal vaginal health you need to establish and then we look at the differential diagnosis presenting signs and symptoms of infection. So vaginal discharge, what is the character? What is the color? Is it thick, thin, or frothy? Is it white? Is it gray, greenish, yellowish? And what does the vulva and vaginal wall look like? Is there erythema and what is its pattern? Is there excoriation, fissuring, ulcerations? What about thickening, hyperkeratosis, or lichenification? What about color changes, hyper and hypopigmentation? These are all a clue. What about odor? The presence of odor usually is significant for something bacterial. I had a recent patient who was an estrogen-deficient postmenopausal woman, and she had such concerns about odor that she was becoming housebound. She thought that people in her workplace were talking about her. This was one of the most severe examples that I have ever seen of a woman being impacted by what she perceived as a vaginal odor. And you know, it's so interesting. I find that as we all have, I'm sure there are women who complain of odor. And even when I do a KOH slide, a potassium hydroxide wet mount slide, which breaks cell membranes, releases the amines of bacterial vaginosis um, bacterias, even with a KOH slide, I smell nothing and the whiff test is negative and a woman's very concerned. And then I have women who have come in for a routine annual visit and I'm shocked at they have, you know, just extensive um, discharge and creamy and it's just classic BV and there's classic odor and they're not being bothered at all. Um, odor is important. We know that in women with BV, oftentimes odor is increased with intercourse as alkaline semen mixes with the bacterial vaginosis organisms. So that can also be a sign when women say, I only notice odor with intercourse and not when there is no condom used. So we don't want to miss vulvar dermatoses. There are so many diseases, and it's always gratifying for me to have a woman who's been symptomatic for sometimes years with a severe itch. And I had a woman in recent time who 
came in telling me she had been severely itching for years, eight years or more. And looking at her clinically and looking at the vulva, it was clear that it wasn't a problem of a yeast infection, but I definitely used the tools I had to make sure objectively there was no low-grade yeast. But what I saw was signs of a chronic itch-scratch problem that was responded eventually to treatment with a high-potency topical steroid, which I had her start and then taper with a very specific regimen. And believe me, she was thankful uh, and, and very demonstrative of her thanks after years of suffering. We don't want to miss those dermatoses, including lichen sclerosis. Lichen sclerosis is there to be found, and when you see changes of the vulva, which have led this woman to itch, we can't just assume it's yeast. And biopsy is the ultimate arbiter of what is going on there. So women with lichen sclerosis, we can see a symmetric, uh, what is called a, um, a pattern of whitening, or um, it can be a problem of absorption of normal anatomy with labia minora, labia majora being actually flattened and the hood of the clitoris being flattened and almost totally obscuring the tissue. Um, lichen sclerosis needs to be treated because preventatively um, there are rare cases but are cases of squamous cancer that can occur when lichen sclerosis progresses and causes excoriated skin and that chronic excoriation over time can lead to malignant change of cells. So anything that appears unusual needs a biopsy, lichen planus. Um, we can see psoriasis. We can see plaques on the vulva. All of these conditions can lead to itching. So what I say is, you know, don't think of the labia majora as just something that you spread apart to put a speculum in. It is tissue that needs to be really looked at. We can see high-grade disease of the vulva from HPV. Um, we know that vulvar cancer is on the rise in younger women, and in particularly women who smoke. So my, my um, hope is that in looking at women, um, not everything that itches is yeast, but women can have two problems in one. And so, for example... If in lichen sclerosis, that woman with lichen sclerosis can get a yeast infection. And the tools we have are very helpful now in identifying those organisms. And so um, really approach your patient looking at the signs um, that you see, the symptoms, and then hopefully we'll make a proper diagnosis um, both for is there a vaginal infection? Is there estrogen deficiency? Is there a vulvar dermatosis? Um, and one other thing about lichen planus is it's a mucous membrane uh, condition. And sometimes women will have, because it affects the mucous membrane of the vagina, they might also have lesions in the mouth on the cheek. So it's interesting when you have an eruption that is creating 
what appears to be inflamed or excoriated skin and even a blister type appearance, you, you want to look in the mouth as well and see if there is any whitening of the tissue suggesting lichen planus there. So we're, we're going to be really uh, careful to know what's normal so we can identify what's not normal. And I really encourage the use of culture for yeast, which is the preferred method by the CDC guideline, or PCR testing or nucleic acid amplification testing to really use objective. Um, and one other thing in terms of diagnosing when I suspect trichomonas and even, and, and Sheila is going to address those classic presenting signs of infections, but when I suspect trick and then if I do a wet mount, which I am allowed to do in my setting, and I actually see modal trichomonads, I will, I will actually also do a send out test so that I have documentation from a lab that trick is there because of the implication for partner treatment and disclosure to partners. Sheila, if you could now talk about the classic presenting signs of vaginal infections. Thank you, Nancy. You did a great job um, looking at other uh, differential diagnoses. What you're looking at could be lichen sclerosis, it could be um, dermatosis, it could be a lot of other issues. But most of the time, our, our ladies will come in and they are convinced that it's um, either vaginosis or it's some kind of STD or STI. Typically, with your yeast infection, they may the discharge may vary. It may be thick, um, kind of cottage cheesy like um, white. Usually, it's the white. That's where, ironically enough, um, albicans actually means white. So it means the white. Um, the white yeast, that's where albicans comes from. So it's usually a white color. Sometimes if it's been in there long enough, it actually has a green tint. It can have a green tint. The inflammation of the vaginal walls can be anywhere from mild to severe. Um, it can also include in the vulva. So the labia could be um, swollen as well. They can have little cracks. They may find on the um, on the vulva, uh, the um, fourchette or up above, right at the um, prepuce of the clitoris, they'll have little cracks in there. You may find that they have excoriation. If it itches, um, usually that needs something we need to look at. Um, does it burn when you pee? That may be an indication that you've got a yeast infection. Typically, our yeast does not have an odor. So those are going to be the key things you're going to see with the yeast is the presenting parts. Interestingly enough, I have some of my ladies that will come in and they're like, oh my gosh, I can smell it from up here as I go and, and do a spell a spec exam. They're like, I'm so sorry. And I'm looking at them going, um, I'm between your legs and I can't smell anything. And they're like, I can smell it from up here. So it's really interesting. A lot of women will have the association when they see it in their mind, they will actually start having an, a smell um, when in reality, there is no smell typically to your yeast. That's opposed to its opposite little cousin, bacterial vaginosis. Bacterial vaginosis, we have a lot, a million, 11.1 million people that come in with BV each year. Opposed to that, that is a discharge that's usually like a gray, um, maybe a thin white color, discolored. It's creamy as opposed to that chunky like the yeast infection. It typically comes with an odor. It's kind of a fishy 
um, could be like a musty odor that they will have. Um, usually you don't have the itching that you see with the yeast um, or with the candidiasis. The candidiasis, you know, like I said, you'll have the, the scratching. You can actually see the little scratch marks in her vulva from, from itching, but you don't see that typically with BV. BV has a, an odor that um, what we have a lot of times, Nancy, that DD, that doorway diagnosis, you walk in there and you're like, whoa, who's got BV in here? It's a pretty, uh, pretty good uh, odor that you can recognize. Now, trichomonas, trichomonas is a discharge that may be frothy, may be discolored. Um, you may have some um, odor with that. You're going to have some inflammation with that. It kind of smells a little bit like your BV. Um, one is your BV has a tendency to be more fishy. Your, um, your trichomonas has a tendency to be more of a musty smell. But when you get down to it, sometimes those are kind of close, kind of hard to tell the difference. A lot of times I will ask my ladies when they come in, um, and I get down there and they're like, I know this is BV. I know this is BV. I'll start a conversation about how it smells when you go into a movie theater, how you can smell the popcorn. And I start talking about the smell of popcorn and, and the butter and all that. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I go, are you starting to smell that? They're like, yeah. And I go, well, there's no popcorn in here. You're seeing a vaginal discharge and you're assigning a smell to it. That could be the issue. And I've actually pulled the speculum out and had them take a whiff of the speculum and say, do you see? No smell. Um, but you're going to see a smell. Typically, there is going to be an odor with your BV and trick. But your discharge on your trichomonas may be frothy, discolored. You'll have an odor and you'll have inflammation. Not typically do you have the itching that you're going to see on the yeast. So those are the typical classic presentations that you may see when they walk in. You're going to have the clumpy... Uh, cheesy part, uh, white. Sometimes it actually can turn a green color. That's going to be more along the lines of a yeast infection, the itching. BV, you may have a little bit of itching, um, but most of the time um, it's going to be the odor that they're going to have. And they may even have feeling like it's just full down there. They just feel like congestion. And the trichomonas, you may have a discharge as well. It actually has a strong odor and you are going to have some inflammation. Go ahead, Nancy, and let's talk about what it looks like when you actually go in and do the microscope and do treatment. Yeah, well, thanks, Sheila. And that's the thing that a woman may walk in not not sure, sure, thinks she's sure of what she has, but we're the one who has to really utilize um, guidelines and tools. Sometimes things just don't add up. And I want to make a quick mention of the the other infection that doesn't get as much press, but DIV, desquamative inflammatory vaginitis, is a problem that I've seen through practice, and sometimes it's almost a diagnosis of exclusion. But when you have the opportunity to use a microscope and you see a discharge that under the microscope, there are significant numbers of white blood cells. There's not, there are no clue cells. There's no hyphae or spores or pseudohyphae but there's a lot of white cells and an absence of chlamydia or gonorrhea by testing. You can begin to think about desquamative inflammatory vaginitis, which is not real common, but it just as the name implies, it's an inflammatory problem. And it's actually treated with steroid instead of antibiotic or antifungal. 
But keep that in mind, and, and you can read about DIV, um, but it's something that does occur. So back to the fact that objective testing, we now need to know that guidelines are that to diagnose VVC, at least one of the following is needs to be met, which is seeing spores, pseudohyphae or hyphae on a wet mount. If you can't do that in your setting, we have by the CDC, as I mentioned, the preferred method is vaginal fungal culture or a more uh, advanced technology of a PCR or, or a NAT test, but there is turnaround time. Um, just a tip, if you do look at a wet mount and on the KOH slide, you see spores, but you don't see pseudohyphae, there's no strands. You know, think about the presence of a resistant glabrata species. So 90% of patients have uncomplicated VVC or vulvovaginal candidiasis. 90% of infections are sporadic, symptoms are mild to moderate, and it's either suspected or proven candida albicans in the patient's immunocompetent. Well, that's uncomplicated, and most any product, whether it's over-the-counter or prescription, will likely work. But if you see only spores under the microscope, you might think it could be a resistant glabrata. It could then be a complicated infection, which are women who have four or more a year or severe symptoms or suspected or proven non-albicans, or a woman who's diabetic or immunosuppressed or debilitated. So in distinguishing, we're going to now look at ourself at the discharge as Sheila has outlined, typically yeast being curdy white and with BV being gray or, or creamy and trick being more frothy, we're going to look on microscopy, do send out tests as necessary, but always consider the possibility of mixed infection. She sure looks inflamed like yeast and the pH is elevated. So does yeast exist in an elevated pH, well, it's not the cause of a, an, a pH becoming alkaline. So we have to think, what's causing the elevated pH? Does she have a coexisting BV and yeast? Does she have trichomonas? And the itching is the irritation of trick. But don't forget to consider other vulvar pain syndromes. So one of the classic uh, tips is itching is really the classic presentation of yeast or VVC. Burning is not typical, and this is a, a woman's descriptive term, but when the complaint is it burns, you need to really look at what else causes burning. And I spent many years in a specialty practice, a specialty um, actually gynecology practice for lower genital tract disease. And this was more than 25 years ago. I was immersed in vulvar pain syndrome. It was a referral practice. And I saw every view, every example of women who had often been to eight different providers and been treated 10 times for yeast. And in the end, they really had a vulvar pain syndrome or a vulvodynia or vestibulitis. So think about, is the woman's complaint burning or is it itching? 
and really look some of the signs of, of vulvar pain syndrome. Vestibulitis, you might see erythema and redness at the five and seven o'clock position of the Bartholin gland ducts. You might see erythema that really is a pattern on the posterior foreshad of sort of a semicircle, as opposed to the diffuse erythema of VVC. And you might find, we, we know that the Q-tip test can also um, bring attention to the five and seven o'clock position. And by pressing a Q-tip at the five and seven o'clock, uh, uh, sometimes you get a woman who jumps off the table because it's so tender. And then we also can learn pelvic floor assessment and evaluating levator muscle spasm or weaken levator muscles leading to discomfort. So, you know, really open your eyes to, am I seeing classic discharge of that's physiologic normal or a classic yeast, classic BV, classic trichomonas? Is there a question of mixed infection? Is there a question of an unusual, less common infection um, problem, which is not exactly infection, but a discharge problem of DIV? Um, what about the symptom? Is it more burning than pain? And what about the distribution of erythema? And also, you know, again, looking for things like thickening from chronic itching and then scratching, which over time can lead to changes or loss of pigment. Um, so we need to use, you know, really all the tools that we have. And then, um, Sheila, I'd like um, you to follow. I know you're going to talk about general urinary syndrome of menopause. Yes. Thank you, Nancy. That was very um, informative. I love the way you talk about how you have to test for it and, and be cognizant of other issues. It's, more, it's not a candida die, uh, infection, bacterial infection, or an STI. This is actually a problem with lack of estrogen. So the menopause, the North American Menopause Society came out with a new guidelines just released in 2020, and it is the genital urinary syndrome of menopause. Many of us used to call it VVA, vulvovaginal atrophy. Uh, gosh, that, that translates into vulvovaginal death. The vagina hadn't died. Um, so they renamed it to genital urinary syndrome of menopause. You may hear it as GSM. And so that is actually a situation where we have a lack of estrogen in the vagina. When we have estrogen in the vagina, when the vagina is nice and estrogenized, the cells are big, fat, juicy grapes um, that makes it have lots of uh, lubricant. It has its own natural lubricant in there. It has blood going to the area, which means it has nerves going to the area, which means that um, when you have sex, the the vagina stretches and recoils and stretches and recoils. Um, it's thick. It holds the bladder up in, in its area or uh, up above in the pelvis. It also keeps you from having little tears. It keeps the pH normal. It increases your presence of lactobacilli. Lactobacilli is your natural scrubbing bubbles that keeps the vagina nice and clean. It keeps the vulvar hydrate, hydrated and it also keeps the nerves to the area so that you actually have sensation. As we lose that estrogen, 
those cells go from big, fat, juicy grapes to raisins. And so you have less blood to the area. You have less nerves to the area. You have less of the lactobacilli. You're going to see that the vagina is starting to thin out. They may have some issues of cough, laugh, sneeze. They may have, when they urinate, they may have some burning. It may have some itching because it's dry and they have a tendency to itch down there. So they will come in and say, God, I'm itching really bad down there. A lot of times they'll have pain with sex. They think, oh gosh, this is just like a yeast infection. Every time I have sex, when I had a yeast infection, it would burn. Um, this is the same thing. They may have pain with sex, but it's not because of an infection. It is because the cells have dried up from the big, fat, juicy grapes to the raisins. And ultimately, those raisins turn into like corn tortilla uh, chips, flat and dry. You have little cracks. You have the pH will change. So you will have a change in the vaginal biome. And so you will have a situation where you can set yourself up for more yeast infections, bacterial infections, more urinary tract infections. So they'll have the dryness, the itching, um, the like I said, the urinary tract uh, in, infections. Um, they will feel a lot more um, uh, maybe pelvic congestion down there because they are feeling so dry. Those are going to be some of the signs of it being a lack of estrogen. You're going to have the loss of rugae. When we have lots of estrogen, our face, we have no wrinkles. No, we're, Our face is nice and smooth. The vagina is nice and wrinkly. When we lose the estrogen, we get wrinkles in the face and our vagina smooths out. Only if those two could figure it out. You also have a thin, a thinning of the ep, um, epithelium. Your, your lineal, vaginal lining will thin out. You will notice when you're doing pap smears that you will see, oh my gosh, I got all the way down to the parabasal cells. That's because you have a low, low uh, threshold between the top layer and the parabasal layer. So you'll have that thinning of the epithelium. You may even have petechiae. You put a speculum in and you're actually going to rupture a couple of those little blood vessels in there because it is so dry. And those are going to be some of the issues where people will actually think this is a yeast infection. It's dry. It hurts when I have sex. I may, um, and then I'll itch. They will come in where in actuality, what you have is a lack of estrogen. We'll see this same issue with our ladies that are breastfeeding. They have a lack of estrogen. They have the ladies that are on birth control, particularly those that have progesterone products. It dries up the estrogen. So the vagina has a tendency to thin out because of the lack of estrogen. So those are some also some differential diagnosis of this may be just a vagina that has lost its estrogen. We typically call that now genital urinary syndrome, a menopause, but it can happen outside the menopause um, time of the life as well. Let's talk about treatments and decision makings that we can think of together. Let's brainstorm on that. Well, Sheila, I really appreciate that you've, you've brought to attention the GSM issues. And uh, again, even women with estrogen deficiency can get a yeast infection. So we're going to make sure we have the diagnosis. But I know we both um, have quite a lot of experience. And so I'm wondering, are you comfortable when you do send out tests? Do you uh, treat the patient while waiting for those results? Are you comfortable doing so? Well, you know, Nancy, a lot of times you look in there and you see the classic signs of yeast. Um, you're going to see the thick discharge. Uh, like you said, if you have pH paper and it's nice and yellow, 
doesn't have an odor. Those are some of your classic symptoms. I hate it because I don't work on Friday, so my last day at the office is on Thursday. I hate that they have to go the whole weekend long scratching like a baseball player when I can actually send out some empirical uh, treatment before they leave. I can actually send them off and then do a confirmation, um, call them back on Monday or Tuesday and say, this is what you actually have. So depending on um, how it presents, I actually have treated um you know, just on site, um, doing a little investigation. What have you treated? What have you used so far? So I am, I have been comfortable doing some send outs um, as opposed to waiting for those tests to come back. Yes. And, and I agree with you. And I think that's part of the individualization that, you know, we, in all cases, we need to talk to the patient about what, what would you prefer? Um, would you prefer to take a pill would you prefer a topical insert? But on top of that is, like you said, what's the past history? I have patients, I'm very comfortable treating empirically when I have enough information. But the time I'm not is the patient who has minimal symptoms is a worried well woman, but um, that's when I present and say, as I'm sure you do, you know, I, I really don't see any significant findings. I didn't see yeast on the, the wet mount, but it's not 100%. Wet mounts are not highly sensitive. I don't see yeast. You haven't been on antibiotics lately. Your symptoms are not that, that severe. Would you like to wait till the you know, test is back or do you want to be treated? Like, like you said, if it's Friday... I don't, if it's Thursday and I don't want you uncomfortable all weekend, you know, but that's going also back to whether this is an uncomplicated patient or complicated, I don't always send out a test. Um, it depends on the amount of discharge. And as I said earlier, the CDC wants us to not miss trichomonas. So we need to test for trich when appropriate, um, but I don't always do a send out test. If I've seen hyphae under the microscope, if this is an uh, infrequent problem for this woman and everything adds up. Um, and, and again, I mentioned oral versus topical. So what about oral therapy? Well, we have what the oral, the one and done. Most of my girls like that one and done idea. Um, Nancy, well, another thing that, that, that can be of concern is the girls that call you up you know, they send a message through your nurse and says, hey, I need a refill on my yeast medicine. And you look back over the chart and they've done this almost every month and they just want to refill after refill. Those are the ones that kind of concern me because, again, we talked earlier in, in this podcast about self-diagnosing and, and them not wanting to put in all of that money to come in for a visit. So you have to worry about uh, misdiagnosing of them just calling up. Second, the, um, the topical versus the, um, the pill for many times, I think America is now at a society where like, I want a pill for this. I want a pill for that. I want a pill, pill, pill. Um, I, a lot of times will use the pill because it's convenient. It's not messy. The problem is you've got to look at, particularly on these pill forms, what other medications are they on? because they may interfere with other drugs. They can have drugs to drug interactions. You really have to take that into consideration. Um, typically, you know, the, 
the one and done or the one day pill works well. Uh, but the creams, I have a tendency to use the creams more often, particularly if they're having vulvar itching so that they're not having that excoriation. That at least gives them a little comfort to have a little lubrication on that um, so the itching doesn't seem to be as bad. So you really have to have a conversation of, you know, what's going on in your life. Um, like I said, these ladies earlier, I talked about how they don't, you know, social situations, you know, they don't want to put this cream in and it runs down their leg. Those are going to be my pill patients. But some of my pill patients can't take it because of medications or it's really not getting to the um, to the area they need. And so I'll use the creams. So the most common yeast organism, Candida albicans, will generally respond to most all of the creams over the counter prescription, the azole group. Um, so we do know that fluconazole, the generic oral therapy, um, I generally give more often two pills, one and then repeat that after three days because the fluconazole does stay in the bloodstream for about 72 hours. When they're having significant symptoms or have been treated at all in the past, I prefer to do one pill and repeat after three days. But we, we know, and I talked about the emergence of more uh, resistant organism, the glabrata species, and you know we do have a new oral therapy, which is Ibrexafungerp, which is a non-azole alternative, and it is just recently approved, and it is FDA approved as an indication for adult and postmenarchal pediatric patients with BBC. Now, one thing that's different about Ibrexafungerp is it does show with low risk for side effects, drug-drug in, drug interactions, low risk of um, any failure in VVC, it has a much broader, uh, better coverage for azole-resistant, uh, fluconazole-resistant infections. So we now have a generic oral therapy, which can probably be affordable with copays, a new therapy that in cases where there's a concern about a glabrata or a resistant non-albican species, we may um, see a much better result, um, though at this point, it may be um, a little harder to get for some women. So we'll see how that works out uh, with a coupon, perhaps, to help women get that product. I'm really excited, Nancy, about this uh, Abrexafun group is that it is a single day. You take two pills in the morning, two pills at night. So for my pill ladies, my ladies that like to have a pill to be done in, in one day, it is a one day treatment and it is with pills. So it's not all that messy cream, but it's really good because it does have more of a broader spectrum. It will get the albicans, but it'll also lean over and get that glabrata that we may be um, saying, yes, this is yeast, um, but you're... Uh, is not working, your other um, azoles, your creams aren't working. Instead of keep throwing everything and changing, sometimes it's just good just to go to the next level. I love the fact that uh, Brexifung Group, like I said, is a, a pill form and it does have a little broad spectrum. Gives us more tools in our toolbox to actually clear this up once and for all. So it is actually the first um, new 
medications that we have, prescription medications for um, BVC that we've had in many, many years. Yes, and it actually is um, a medication that it actually actually kills the yeast instead of reducing um, the yeast. And But when you speak of something new, I'm going to speak of something old because I've been around long enough that I've watched boric acid gel caps for the vagina go from strictly only something that could be compounded to something you can go buy at the drugstore over the counter. So just a word about boric acid. Um, boric acid is toxic and potentially fatal if ingested, but as a gel cap placed in the vagina, it can be effective against refractory or fluconazole refractory yeast and glabratus species. And it's generally given as a, a dose of vaginal insert for at bedtime for a couple weeks. It's something that um, you can even get online now. It's kind of amazing, but it should be kept safe and out of uh, reach of any young children. It's obviously very, very um, much a problem if ingested. We do also need to look at how do we approach women who have recurrent yeast and are so frustrated. But, you know, we do have long therapy. We do have recommendations that in complicated VVC, um, we can actually look at longer course therapy. We know that because fluconazole, for example, is not does not have the liver concern of the old drug ketoconazole, which we don't recommend using, but uh, fluconazole can be given in a strategy, for example, of once a week over a six-month period and can safely be used to prevent recurrent infection. Um, so again, it comes back to, we're going to consider in selecting treatment, what is our patient's preference and what's the cost and copay and coverage? Is she having a, an uncomplicated infection? Is it a mixed infection? Uh, is this, I, I like to give uh, vaginal gel um, metronidazole gel for BV and oral therapy to cover the yeast. I have women and some women do get yeast because of taking metrogel for BV. So um, I find it reasonable, you know, to use an intravaginal uh, metronidazole gel and an oral therapy to cover women who get yeast or have coexisting yeast. So we're going to look at patient preference and work with what their their resources are. And um, so in doing so, we are going to really help our patients who oftentimes present very frustrated and need that appropriate diagnosis and treatment plan. Thank you so much uh, for attending our podcast. Thank you so much for your attention. <laughs> Thank you, Nancy and Sheila, for sharing your wealth of knowledge on this extremely important topic. It's been a great segment. Your dedication, your passion, and your experience really came through. To our listeners, I hope you found this episode educational and can apply some of what was discussed to your practice. Join your National Professional Association and add your voice to over 119,000 of your NP colleagues nationwide. I urge you to become an AANP member today. 
Membership gives you access to so many benefits, including tools and resources for your practice and the AAMP CE Center with hundreds of free CE. If you want to learn more about vulvovaginal candidiasis and earn continuing education credit, visit the AAMP CE Center at aamp.org forward slash CE Center. The CE activity on VVC with Nancy and Sheila is linked in the show notes. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast, share with your colleagues, and check back each month for new episodes. (laughs) 